0: Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find uh, the book of Acts, uh, we're back in the book of Acts. We've been working through a series since uh, the start of this year. Uh, the book of Acts is um, it's a wonderful story. Perhaps you're uh, not a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, or you're new to the Christian faith. Well, a great way to get into the Bible is to read the book of Acts. Because it really is a story that tells you about what happened um, after Easter. So after our Easter Sunday, which is a week ago, after uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, what happened to his disciples, the people that he'd spent three years living with and teaching and training. It tells you what they did next um, and how uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit they traveled all across what we know today as the Middle East and the, the Mediterranean and they started churches they proclaimed the message of Jesus and it's a wonderful action-packed story of what happened to those disciples to people like John and Peter and then later on the Apostle Paul and what Jesus did through them as they built his church and we're gonna jump into the story today We're going to read quite a long passage, but just bear with me as we do it from Acts chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. So it says this But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council or the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, We found this prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned, questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So they took his advice. And when they'd called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're alive. Thank you that this week, after Resurrection Sunday, we get to celebrate every day as Resurrection Sunday, knowing that you're risen, that you're ruling over your creation, that you've come to us now, that we can know you, as Jess was talking about, we can know you personally. We can know and enjoy your presence. We can know your voice speaking to us, shaping us, changing our lives. We can know the goodness of your love and grace toward us. And we just pray as we look at these words today that you'd flood our hearts again with your endless grace. That's what we need more than anything else today is to meet with you. We just pray you'd come and overflow our hearts. Help us to know and enjoy you this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. My wife told me a story this week of how She was cycling through the Nelson Mandela Park, uh, which is in the southeast of the city. And as she was cycling through, another cyclist stopped her and asked for directions. But uh, the other cyclist didn't speak um, any Dutch or much English. So it took Joe a while to figure out what exactly or where exactly he wanted to go. And eventually she realized that the place he wanted to go to was a town in Germany. So she got out her phone and opened up Google Maps and put in the destination, and it said it would take a day and a half to cycle to Germany. So she said, well, if you go that way and then turn right and keep on going, you'll be good. And he said, okay, and off he cycled. So maybe he's... I mean, by now, this was about three or four days ago, so he may have gone and come back. Who knows? But this man, bizarre story as it is, he obviously had some kind of purpose, some kind of zeal, or quite possibly, he was just completely deluded. But he had obviously a plan, somewhere to go, something to do, something that he needed to accomplish. And perhaps that's the most striking thing when you read this story or one of the most striking things possibly the most striking thing might be the angel that appears and releases them out of prison that's pretty dramatic but what you get in this story is this sense of jesus followers his disciples they're kind of unstoppable they're thrown in prison and an angel releases them and i think i'd go I mean, I think I'd go and probably just have a, a party somewhere, you know, just celebrate. Wow, I met an angel and I was in prison. I'm no longer in prison. woo But they don't do that. They go and, well, they do what the angel tells them to do. They go straight back into the city and they start telling people the words of life of who Jesus is. And again, you know, they're, they're brought before the council. They're told off. They're beaten, as it says near the end of the story. And then again, they go out. And it says, every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They did not cease. And that's not just the story of chapter 5. That's all the way through this book, all the way through the New Testament, you get this picture of this people that are captivated with a sense of purpose. That there's something that they're called to do, and no matter what, they're going to do it. If it involves cycling to Germany, they're going to do it. Whatever it entails, they are going to tell people about Jesus. Whatever it means, the mission that they feel they've been called to, they have this zeal, this passion to do it. And all the language here, it's never half-hearted. It's always definitive. They did not cease. They filled Jerusalem. They just went and did what God had told them to do again and again. And really, this is just going back to what Jesus had told them to do. If we go back to the the start of the book of Acts, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is what's happening in chapter 5. They're being his witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and in Samaria. And to the end of the earth. And that promise, that calling that they're living with, this purpose that they're working on, that they're going to be witnesses, they're going to tell people about Jesus this isn't just something that happens in the book of acts this is the heartbeat that's in the center of this book if you go right back to the story of abraham in genesis chapter 12 god comes to him and says through your family all the families of the earth will be blessed and from then on this move of god begins that spreads from this tiny community in israel thousands of years ago and now it's not just for jerusalem but there are probably over a billion Christians today all over the world what started here has spread like wildfire all over the planet that there's been many people, not just in the Bible but through church history who've lived with this sense of purpose that God has been desiring a worldwide people to be his own a people that he can love that he can know a people he's called into relationship with him and that's what he's called us to do as well to be his witnesses to go and tell people about him and perhaps you're here and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus so perhaps you're here and you're you're a bit of a you're a bit reluctant when it comes to this point there's a uh, a poet called Ezra Pound And he said, the act of bell ringing, you know, when churches ring their bells, the act of bell ringing is symbolic of all proselytizing religions. It implies the pointless interference with the quiet of other people. Sometimes we could feel like that when we want to tell people about Jesus, that we're just just interfering with their quiet. It's just this pointless interference. And yet, the reality is, all of us are preached to all of the time. That's just the world that we live in. You know, people who are politicians or marketing executive or social media influencers, they don't worry about interrupting your quiet. That's their job. They don't worry about unsettling you. They, they want to do that. They don't worry about getting in your face and proselytizing, preaching, proclaiming their message. Every day, all the time, every time you open up uh, the social media apps on your phone, every time you even get on a metro or walk down the street, we're assaulted all the time by messages, both explicit ones and implicit ones, both direct ones and hidden ones, telling you what you should buy, how you should live, what you should value, what's right, what's wrong. All the time, we're bombarded with messages. Many of them that aren't even true. And you might think, well, surely as Christians, we should just love people. Why do we need to tell anyone about Jesus? Surely we just love people. That's, that's enough. And that's obviously definitely part of it. But even that can sometimes have its limitations. I heard a story recently of a, of a man who got a job in a, in a shoe shop selling shoes, like a footlocker or something like that. And he decided that he would just be the best Christian ever. And he would just, the way he went about his work, the way he interacted with his colleagues, he was like, I'm just going to be an amazing Christian. I'm not going to tell them I'm a Christian. I'm just going to love them so much. And he did this for a couple of months. And eventually then someone came to him and said, I've noticed something different about you. He was like, yes, this is my moment. All my hidden, just being a good Christian, they've noticed And they said, I've noticed something different about you. Is it because you're a vegetarian? (laughs) He said, no, hold on a second. Not because I'm a vegetarian. And obviously that did give him then an opportunity to be able to share his faith. And there's nothing wrong with loving people. Of course we must do that. Of course that's the heart of what it is to be a Christian. But as well, the, the gospel we believe in, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ is good news. We mustn't be ashamed of the gospel, as Paul says in Romans 5. It can be embarrassing to be a Christian, absolutely. Of course it is. But we mustn't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ because for the people around you that don't know Jesus, it is the good news that they need to hear. It's not a negative story. It's not pointless interference. And our mission as a church here in this city, is we want people to come to know this wonderful good news of Jesus. When people come who are new to this church and they ask me, what's, what's the vision of your church? What, are you, what, are you, what do you stand for? What are you about? I say, well, the clue is in the name. Liberty Church. We want to bring the liberty of Jesus Christ to this city where people flood to this city from all over the world, from all over the Netherlands, and they come here to find freedom, freedom of expression, freedom of thought, freedom to do what they want, to be who they want. That's central. That's the desire that's in every human heart to find liberty, freedom. I just want to be myself. But so often people will find that what they've put their hopes in, their desires in, their dreams in, lets them down. And yet Jesus has said, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me and receive my goodness. Come to me and you can live life to the full. That's the promise in John chapter 10. We believe that the true liberty, the true freedom that everybody in this city is searching for is found only in Jesus Christ. And we're committed to telling this city about him, for welcoming people here to meet God, For through our lives, through being witnesses out in our workplaces, in our communities, with the people around us. as we want his name to be famous in our city. Obviously there's a pressure that comes with that. As I said, it can be embarrassing to be a Christian. Even if you read through this story, at each moment where they sort of take a step of faith and step out, what happens is pressure comes and and the pressure has been building through this story as we've moved on from Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit falls on them on the day of Pentecost it's like the pressure is slowly building as you go through this story in Jerusalem you can feel like this this heat as this new community of believers has been formed as they begin to step out As they begin to witness, as they're going every day into the temple to tell people the Messiah has come. This pressure is building. Of people that don't want them to tell that. The same people that crucified Jesus only a few months before. They're now turning against this new community. The pressure is building all the time. It feels dangerous. It feels intense. Even in this story, they're thrown in prison. They come out and then they're beaten. That wasn't just a polite slap around the face. To be beaten would have been a, a probably fairly horrific experience. And yet it says, And they left after being beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the dishonor we might face in this city probably isn't going to be that we get beaten up for being Christians probably won't be that you're martyred, that you're murdered for your faith. And the reality is through the course of church history, even we're going to find it in a few chapters time, in this story of someone who's martyred for their faith. It's what happens to Stephen and later on what happens to, to James, all in a few chapters. Even today around the world, many people, many believers are martyred for for what we believe. Even that word that Jesus said to them, in Acts chapter 1, to go and be witnesses, the word in, in the Greek, witnesses, is martyrs, which means go and be martyrs. It's the same word, the same emphasis is there. And as I said, we're not going to get beaten, we're not going to face martyrdom, most likely in this city, in this day, but we may suffer dishonor. Embarrassment to be a Christian is often seen as weird. I remember when we first moved here, people would you know, ask me, what are you, why are you in this city, crazy Englishman? What are you, what are you doing here? And I would try and explain, oh, well, we've, we've moved here to start a church. And that's normally when the conversation would end. It's like, oh, okay, see you later, won't speak to you again. And I had this conversation with one lady, and she literally didn't believe me. She thought I was telling her some kind of joke. So she asked me three times, you know, what, no, seriously, what are you, what are you doing? You know, we've, we've, we've come to start a church. No, no, seriously, what are you doing? No, we have. We've actually come to start church. No, people don't do that anymore, was her response. The church is closed, they don't open. It's often you'll be seen as weird to be a Christian here. You might even be seen as dangerous. To be a Christian in our city and our age can be a subversive thing. Things that people will feel is almost scary, that there's a, a danger that we might want to bring some horrible values, some kind of morality that's going to hurt or damage people in our city. That's often what people can believe. There's a, there's a pressure, I'm sure you've all felt it if you're a believer in Jesus here. There's a pressure to be a Christian anywhere at any time, but particularly in our city today. You'll find moments where the pressure will intensify, moments where you will feel vulnerable, where you'll feel a sense of dishonor for being known as as a Christian in our city. And yet what we see here in this story is that through this pressure that they're facing, Each time they're called before the religious leaders, before the council, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison. Each time they remain faithful. So what I want to spend most of our remaining time this morning is looking at some pointers to help us to remain faithful under pressure. When it becomes a pressure for you to be a follower of Jesus, how do we remain faithful? Number one, first point is to know Know where you are. That's important, to know where you are. You see, in this story, as we go through the book of Acts, the scene changes again and again. You know, if you go to a theater production, and there'll be different, different acts, different parts of the play, and as you go through different parts, they'll you know, pull up the ropes and the, the backdrop will, will lift and then another one will come into place. Or so some prop hands will bring in some new set design. You know, the scene changes. And the scene changes as you go through this book of, book of Acts. And Jesus has told them at the start of this. Right now, the scene is they're in the center of Jerusalem. And then they go to Judea and then to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. That's the story of the book of Acts as it follows. It starts in Jerusalem and then moves out. But that affects how they go about their mission. You see, it says here, at the end of this story, that they were preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Because in Jerusalem, that was an important message. They're preaching to Jews who were expecting, waiting for a Christ, a Messiah to come. So their message was, he has come, he's here, Jesus has come. But yet later on in the story, when they are no longer in Jerusalem but moved into other areas, where Paul is in Athens, for instance, or Ephesus, or later on as he goes to Rome, he's not preaching to Jews anymore. If he went to them and said, the Christ is here, they'd say, what's a Christ? What are you talking about? What do you mean the Messiah has come? It doesn't make any sense to us. What he does is he goes into Athens, in particular, in chapter 17, and he says uh, that you're worshipping the unknown God. He speaks into the idolatry that's in their city and says, no, a a true God has come. A true Redeemer is here. He uses completely different language because he's talking to a completely different people. And you see, in Amsterdam, it's, it's different from other places. For many of you, if you've moved from other places to the world, our city is different from the place you've come from. That means the way we practice our faith, the the way we tell people about Jesus will be different. Even from other places in this country, even from cities and towns around this nation that may be only half an hour in the car away, our city is very different. It's a diverse city full of 180 different nationalities. When you bring lots of different nationalities together, lots of different ideas and religions and worldviews and ways of thinking, it affects how people think. Our city is known as being one of the most secular cities. That means to be without God on the face of the planet. Only maybe two and a half percent of people every Sunday would go to church. That's a tiny minority compared to many other nations compared to many other places even in this country and that means the way we're going to do our faith is different people often come to me and say your your church is is different from my church back home or they're often trying to say is why can't your church be more like my church it's like well we're not we're not in texas anymore you know we're not in belfast we're not in tokyo we're here so we're going to I'm not saying that we've got it right, but things are gonna look different here because we're trying to reach a different group of people. So know where you are. Also know know what season it is. Know what season it is. Some people, to help explain how mission works in different parts of the world, talk about some places being in spring, some in summer, some in autumn, and some in winter. So for the church to be in a season of springtime, that would be a part of the world where perhaps Christianity has been a minority, has been in darkness, but is beginning to flourish and grow. So over the last 50 years in South America, for instance, or even in the last 10 or 20 years in China or in places like Iran right now, Twenty years ago, there would have been a handful of christians now there 's millions it you know, 's true of what 's happened in china there are probably more Christians now in China than there would be in the whole of Europe because god 's done something there and it 's growing it 's flourishing it sort of feels like springtime in other parts of the world. The church would feel like summertime that is People talk like a place of sort of where Christianity has been the dominant religion, the dominant faith, the dominant belief, the dominant sort of shaping worldview. Be true of some places in Africa, for instance. Other places, it's more like autumn, that it can feel like the church is in decline. Much of the Western world here in Europe and perhaps in the United States as well. The church was once the sort of dominant force and is now finding itself becoming marginalized, that people don't want to hear its voice anymore. Other parts of the world, it would be winter. It would be illegal to share your faith. That Christians can only practice their faith hidden away in underground churches with fear of death and punishment, martyrdom coming their way. In the story of Acts, It's becoming springtime. (laughs) That's the context that they're in. That it's just the the first shoots of spring are emerging. The the church is beginning to grow and flourish. If that's why the religious authorities in Jerusalem are getting so panicky. Are responding with violence. Because they can see people are are turning to this message. It's changing people. It's changing our city. We've got to do something about it. And... What are we like here in... What's our city like? What season are we in here? Some people would say that, as I said, that in Western Europe, the church is declining. Perhaps to you, it feels like wintertime. You're so fearful of what might happen if you told people in your workplace, for instance, that you were a Christian. Would that mean you wouldn't be able to get a promotion? Would that mean that your work colleagues wouldn't really want to know you anymore? It can feel like winter in those kind of settings. Sometimes... People would would talk about Amsterdam as as almost being a post-atheist city. To be an atheist, you have to have deliberately rejected God. But many people in our city have never even really thought about God at all. And yet, when we look around us, we see signs of springtime. You know, this building, for 40 years, there was no church meeting here. The, The original congregation moved out at the end of the 1970s. And yet, here we are, worshipping in here again, bringing life back into this dusty old building. You know, last Sunday on Easter, we had nearly 350 people that came together to worship with us. That's amazing in a city like this. And it's not just us. Churches all across the city, people were coming to worship and give thanks for the resurrection. Over the, even since the pandemic, we've run... I think four or five different alpha courses where people have come to explore the Christian faith. We've seen people saved, baptized, added to the church. Just small shoots popping up. Signs of springtime, signs of God at work. So know what season it is. I've got to rush through these next ones. Know what time it is. Perhaps more importantly of knowing where you are or knowing what season it is, it's important to know what time it is. The disciples, they acted differently. They, they practiced their faith with such zeal and passion because they knew what time it was. Because if you go back and you, you read about Peter, for instance, before Jesus' death, he's a completely different person. After Jesus' death, after his resurrection, after Pentecost, Peter's a completely different person. He goes from being this confused, afraid, just, you know, Peter's a bit embarrassing. And all of a sudden, Jesus changes him. The resurrection changes everything. They knew that a new age in human history had dawned. That before the world was like this. Now Jesus has died, and he's risen again. Everything's changed. They knew what time it was had faith, confidence, and boldness, because the Messiah had come. And for us, it's exactly the same time. (laughs) We might live in a different city than they did. We might live in a different season than they were, but it's the same time. When we read their zeal and passion to share their faith, it's, it's no different from what we should feel we live in the same time that Jesus has come. Number four, they knew their task. We should know our, our task. They were really clear when they're called before the council, it says in verse 30 t, 32, we are witnesses to these things because Jesus had told them to go uh, be witnesses. They knew the mission of God. They knew the purpose of the church to tell people about Jesus. They knew it. My question to you would be, why are you, why are you here? You might think, well, I'm just, I've just moved here. You know, it's my, my work sent me here. I'm here to study. I'm here because someone dragged me along this morning. But you're here in this building right now because Jesus has called you. There's, that's everyone there's no exceptions to that he's called you he's called you to be part of his family to be known by him to be loved by him and he 's called you to engage in his mission my encouragement to you particularly if you've if you 've moved here from another part of the world don't don't be an expat right because expats arrive and they want to just Consume out of the city. You know, Amsterdam just becomes a playground. They'll just take whatever they can. They'll just use it as a base to go and travel lots of nice places. I'm not saying you have to be Dutch, but you can live as an Amsterdamer. Just love the city. Don't, don't ask what you can get out of it while you're here. But what can you give to the city? How can you serve and bless this place? How can you love the people around you? How can you share and display the love of Jesus? And if you've lived here all of your life, can, when you've lived in a, in a, when you've grown up and lived in a city, you can become a bit, you just get used to it. You just, you just feel like you're part of the furniture. You never really think about it. It's just, it's just the place that I live. But consider yourself a missionary, that you've been sent here. you maybe not sent here from London or... Beijing but you've been sent here by Jesus for a purpose he's called you here and my encouragement to you to all of you would be to stay and maybe not forever you know God might move you on but maybe you've come here just for just for two years why don't you stay for four you know you come here just to do your university and then disappear well stick around we need, this city needs people. It's, we live in such a transient city. There are people coming and going all the time. And that's going to be true for some of us. And that's fine. God might just put you here for a season and move you on. That's totally fine. But if you can, stay. Put, put roots down. This is, this city needs people who are going to put roots down. Who are going to, over the long term, love and serve. Who want to build something here. Who want to bless this city. Number five. Know who to follow. See, it says in verse thirty, Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. That is a we can we can brush over those words so quickly, but that those are words of just defiance. Words that perhaps were shared through tears running down their faces or with Trembling hands, fearful of the consequences. They've, they've just been in prison. You know, the night before, thrown in prison. They're released, then they're brought before. The... If you're a convict that's been released from prison and you're now a fugitive, Harrison Ford on the run, and then you're brought back in front of the people who put you in prison, you're, you're, you're gonna be terrified. Because not only were you thrown in prison for doing bad things, but you've done even worse thing by escaping. They would have been perhaps feeling a sense of terror in their hearts, but they were clear, we must obey God rather than men. And that would be my question to you. Maybe if you're here and you don't know Jesus, who, who are you following? Who are you going to obey? Because the reality is there's going to be all sorts of voices... Who are going to call you to live this way, do this thing, go here, live for that, value this thing? We're surrounded by these voices all the time. What are you living for? What are you living for? Who, who are you going to obey? Because what they knew is by obeying God rather than men, no matter what the consequences, and the consequences would become severe they still knew that that was the far better choice it is he offers you so much he offers you his love his presence to to obey God is always the right decision it really is if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus to be a disciple to be a Christian just do what he tells you it's so simple Jesus has told me to do this, I'm gonna do this. He's told me not to do that, I won't do that. He's told me to go here, I'm gonna go there. He's told me to love these people, and I love these people. Just do what he tells you. Know who to follow. Number six, know his track record. We have this man who appears in this story, Gamaliel who talks about these different people, Thaddeus and then Judas, who rose up. He's, he's telling us stories of people that tried to start some kind of rebellion, who tried to preach some kind of message, and then they, both of them are crushed and killed, and it fizzled out. But then he says, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You see, Gamaliel's words become incredibly prophetic, because they're not able to overthrow them. <laughs> That this tiny christian community in jerusalem spreads all over the earth if it's of god you can't stop it because gamaliel what he's pointing to is he's saying those other guys their track record wasn't very good they had a message and it fizzled out but he knew that the track record of his savior of yahweh the god of the bible is when god decides to do something it happens when god decides To rescue the Israelites out of Egypt against all the odds it happens when Jesus decides he's going to start this community and he gathers these twelve very unlikely men to commission to change the world against all the odds it happens know his track record of faithfulness know his power See, again, they said, we're witnesses to these things in verse 32, and so is the Holy Spirit. That's really the deciding factor of why this story happens, why they had such zeal and purpose, why they're so different from how they were before, because God's with them, the Holy Spirit, and he's with us too. It's the same God. It's the the same power that raised Jesus from the dead the same power that energized Peter and Paul and John, all these other men and women who served so faithfully, who built his church, who went on such adventures, the same God who rescues them out of prison, the same God, he's rescued you out of prison, the prison of slavery to sin. He's rescued you for life and he's given you his power to equip you. And what what the Holy Spirit does, more than anything else, is he's going to point our hearts to Jesus. If you, want to, if, you, if you want to find a move of God, a move of the Holy Spirit, look for a people that are passionate about Jesus. That's what he does. You see, that's really the, the deciding factor of why were these people living with such a purpose? Is because they'd met Jesus. When you discover his life-changing grace, when you discover how much he loves us despite all our faults and failings despite all the times that we we feel like we've let him down or we've let ourselves down how we stumble into sin and mistakes and regrets how we live so half-heartedly all of the time how we don't live as witnesses we don't tell people about Jesus but when you realize his mercy his grace, his forgiveness, that he loves us just as we are, that he loves you just as you you walked through the doors this morning. You're loved, accepted, welcomed into his family. When you discover that grace, it makes you zealous because you realise this really is good news. This is the best news I've ever heard. I want everyone around me to know about it because it's just so good. Okay, we... We must stop and worship Jesus because that's so so important. Let me pray for us and then we're going to share communion together. Jesus, we just thank you for your astonishing love and grace. We thank you. That's, that was the difference factor for these men and women in this story who lived as such examples to us. Just faced with that terrifying prospect of having to stand before the council knowing knowing that what happened to Jesus could have happened to them knowing that they could have said well you've escaped from prison so our only option now is to kill you that was a real possibility and yet they said we must obey God rather than men and it wasn't because they felt forced to because it was because they, they knew you they just discovered your phenomenal love and it had turned their world upside down it completely changed their lives I just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come and turn our worlds up and turn our worlds upside down. Just remind us of your phenomenal, life-changing love for us. Your mercy and grace that welcomes us just as we are. We want that to be the thing that changes us. We want that to be the thing that makes us radicals for you. Not because we feel that we have to, but just we want to because Jesus is amazing. Thank you so much that you died for us that you rose again, that has changed everything now. Help us to celebrate that as we worship together.